am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Welcome to Election Shock Therapy uh, here at Bethel University. I'm Chris Moore, and joining me in my office today is... Uh, Sam Mulberry. For once, I'm, I'm, Sam's here. No, but more importantly, I'm going to be here at the end. I'm going to hear you say "Go Royals" at the end. <laughs> <laughs> We're really excited about this. And I'm Andy Bramson. I'm Mitchell Crum. And we got the usual gang here. Thanks for tuning in uh, on Tuesday when we talked to Scott Winter about journalists. But we're back here with uh, all poli sci and history all the time now. <laughs> and gentlemen, we just had last night <sighs> the last debate. I feel like that's kind of the right sound. Yes. Uh, I was thinking about today. I mean, before you ask a question, I will just say how I feel. like. I, I I was for the first. Debate. I was excited for the second debate. Like my son was excited. Mm-hmm. My son watched part of the third debate, but I just felt like our whole family just felt exhausted. Like I kept yeah. wanting to turn to them and say, "Like, should we watch something else?" Like, we, we we stuck through it. This but, lone yeah. survivor thing, or doesn't need a survivor thing, looks pretty That's good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> is is Keith or Sutherland uh, climbing up your fake president chart at this point? Oh, I don't know. Good question. Maybe. <laughs> Lots of people are climbing up the real president option chart. Should, should, we, should we address a grave faux pas that we've been called out on a few times already on email? Uh-oh. By the way, I should just mention, address you can email pas. us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com if you would like to ask us questions about our freak presidential choices. Or point out our faux pas. Or fact check us or anything else. <laughs> You can also find us on iTunes. You can like us there, leave a review. Uh, we'd love a five-star rating, Most not because we're uh, you know emotionally fragile, but because we'd like to have other people find this podcast, and leaving good, a good review is the best way to make that happen. Um, we got a couple emails uh, saying that we left a grave oversight in our yeah. uh, ranking of, of fictional uh, presidents. Uh, we have a, a number of write-in votes for Jed Bartlett. Yeah. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Was that a mistake? Can I be on record by being the person who says, who's Jed Bartlett? No! No! Okay. Wait, I mean, you are on record as yeah. saying that. <laughs> so you... clearly you never saw uh, Aaron Sorkin's The West Wing. I, I, I did not. Okay. Oh, wow. You're, you've missed out on a good show. That's, really? Um, yeah. Okay. It, well, okay, well, okay. Very That's well what I would ask. Okay. Uh, yeah. Can I ask the question, like... I missed out in the moment, maybe, on a good show, but in reality, like, this exists and a person, not saying I would, could go back and watch it. Did I really miss out on a good show? Yes. Like, Like, would you recommend somebody who's like, says, oh, I've never seen that, to be like, oh, you'd enjoy that, you should watch this? So I... Uh, or is it of, a, of its time? So my wife, Stacy, uh, has never watched West Wing either, and we have Netflix, and it's on Netflix now, and uh, uh, a couple weeks ago... I said, well, why don't you check this out? See if you like it. So we watched the first couple episodes, and it's filmed in S- it's filmed in standard definition, so it doesn't hold up in terms of visual. Uh, but it's classic Sorkin. It's very mm-hmm. fast. It's very verbose. It's very witty. Uh, it's very mm-hmm. quick dialogue, and I think it still works. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it does too. Now, I, it, it comes I agree. from a particular point in time. It, it's debuting. Um, nearly contemporaneous with the uh, with the Bush administration, sure. so at the end of the Clinton administration, Sorkin is a liberal, and it's basically a liberal's dream version of the presidency. Right. Jed Bartlett right. is a Nobel Prize winning economist from an East of a New Hampshire liberal arts college or something like that, <laughs> yeah. and uh, he comes uh, he comes into office on the strength of sort of 
moral fiber and uh, <laughs> and uh, and a quirky sense of humor and uh, is able to sort of you know uh, craft America in his image. And, and all, the, not, all the villains are easily vanquished. Right. And, right. Yeah, it doesn't sound like you're doing a really strong sell job here. I and I like Sorkin, like <laughs> like a few good men. That's a real good movie. Okay, if you like a few good men, if if you like an American president, especially if you like American president, yeah. and if you like, uh, even if you like uh, the Social Network, I think you'd like it. Yeah, okay. I would. I would say I'd add to that. I, I agree. And even if you're not like that's not where you are politically, which is not where I'm. I am politically. Um, you know, you still a really enjoyable show. It's really well written. The characters are well created. I mean, it's it's not realistic. Like if you want to no. understand like a realistic take on politics, this is not it. Sure, um, but. <laughs> But it's well written, so at least up through when Sorkin left, which was I think in the middle of season four, um, you know that it's really well written. I think after season four, the last three kind of go downhill pretty precipitously. How many seasons am I buying here? Seven, Seven total. <laughs> Whoa, okay. But I can are I there, can lend you the first there, like three. Well, they're on Netflix, to, so. but like are they are there skippable seasons? Is like the last I think three? Andy's making the a last three. Case. The last three, uh, they actually well, one of the benefits of the last three is uh, they introduce some sympathetic uh, Republican politicians, mm-hmm. and there's sort of a question. Uh, Jimmy yeah. Smith plays a Republican. Ooh, okay. No. Uh, Jimmy Smith is a Democrat. Oh, 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 Alan Alda was the Republican oh, okay. and oh, wow. does a good job. Star studded, right? Well, yeah, yeah, there's, kind, a, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of names I mean, in this, and they have a. It's interesting, like they. So in terms of sort of like art picturing reality, right? I mean, this the last season came out um, the first year that I was married, and so Sarah and I actually watched that one on TV. Um, so it was 2005, 2006, and what they have is a young, charismatic minority candidate, played by Jimmy Smith, mm-hmm. running against a sort of aging maverick Republican candidate, played by Alan Alda, mm-hmm. uh, which you know sort of what sounds ended up like, happening two like, years yeah, later, right? And, and I just need to jump in here because people who like there was a debate yesterday, and people who want to hear about that, you have to realize that uh, podcast didn't exist in 2001, so we didn't have a chance to talk about this <laughs> then. So like we have to make up for lost. Don't worry, eventually right. we're going to get right. back to the mash finale. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let, let's talk about the debate. I have to. I have to admit, gentlemen. I know that a couple of you watched the whole debate. I didn't. I have, a good, okay. I have a good excuse. So, can I give my excuse, Professor Bramson? You can. Mm. I mean, like, and I'll just say right now, I skipped the entire second debate. Um, I only read about the read about it, and I think I was a happier. Well, wow, you guys aren't supposed to admit this. I know. Air. No, no. Here's, here's the confession. I have a good excuse. Yeah, so, Mitchell is three for three. I I advise uh, our our college's United Nations Club, and our, our we have about sixteen students. They're going to be going to a conference. They're going to be playing the role of the ambassadors from the proud nation of Colombia. Uh, we spent a couple hours last night writing up our our position papers for uh to to play the role of Colombia on all different kinds of issues. So after about a, after about forty five minutes of the debate I had to walk out and, and go do that instead, which was much better for my blood pressure, as it mm-hmm. turns out. Mm-hmm. So that's fair. But uh Mitch you, you <laughs> watched the whole thing? Yep, yep, watched the whole thing. Uh saw it from start to finish. Uh, we actually watched it together last night. Yeah. So oh, nice. He brought the pumpkin pie. Yep. If you're um, if you're going to uh, um, if you're going to watch a debate, high density calorie foods is, a, is the best possible way to go. It was, yeah, yeah. Pumpkin pie, coffee, cool whip, it made it easier. Yeah, yep. that that sounds so pleasant right now. Okay, so tell me about it. So uh, for the perspective, we have we have th- now three debates under our belt. Um, how do you guys think this the third debate compared in retrospect to the other two? Uh, I mean, the third debate in some ways was the most boring. I mean, in many ways, <laughs> it uh, mostly featured both candidates just just trying not to make major mistakes. And this was Trump being much more subdued. Uh, this was Hillary Clinton. In some ways, um, I guess I guess just to go back on that slightly, Hillary Clinton was much more uh, on the offense. I mean, she was mm. much yes. had, had a lot more zingers or one liners. I mean, she was kind of ready to you know point out things like when they're talking about immigration. I mean, she would say, "Look, you know, we need to make sure everybody pays." Um, undocumented workers and 
all workers a fair wage, unlike you, Donald. Right. Um, and, right. you know, basically pointing out that he's hired a lot of undocumented workers. Sure. And, um, you know, so she had a lot more uh, things ready to go like that, unlike mm-hmm. the last couple where she was sort of – her attitude seemed to be much more like, I'm just going to be here. I'm going to look presidential. I'm going to let him say a lot of things and embarrass himself and just, you know, basically – be you know sort of try to look like the adult in the room mm-hmm. um whereas this time she was much more ready to sort of just you know fire back mm-hmm. um, why do you think that's the case um well my i mean my impression looking at it at, at the beginning i mean especially her lead out statement so the the opening question was about the supreme court and basically social issues and what's the interpretation of the constitution mm-hmm. which um you know i i would have i would have expected you know I, i'm just remembering like in 2012 um, when when uh, Romney and uh, Obama were debating, you know, the last debate almost sounded like they'd run into each other in the hall and like accidentally shuffled all their notes and switched up. You know, <laughs> but basically you heard like yeah. you're like Mitt Romney saying like, oh, I think we really need to think about a Palestinian state. Right, and, you know, maybe right. we've had too much military intervention. <laughs> and then you heard had Obama saying, oh, I'm, you know, best buddies with Netanyahu. And, you know, we're the biggest allies Israel ever has. And I think we need to more. One, military of, those two th- one of those two things is true, by right, the way. Right. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. And so, you know, and so and, you know, you know, and it's just like, wait a minute, aren't you supposed to be on the other side? You know, so you sort of expect mm-hmm, the candidates mm-hmm. to run towards the center at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hillary Clinton really didn't. I mean, basically, no. her opening statement was, um, you know, I am pro-choice. I am pro-LGBT. I am, mm-hmm. um, you know, in favor of uh, a Supreme Court that is going to overturn Citizens United. I want a Supreme mm-hmm. Court that's going yep. to, um, yeah, you know, basically a laundry list of what mm-hmm. you would expect for, um, you know, for, for a fairly... Um, substantial liberal program yeah. and you know it wasn't really what you would want to say i think to sort of appeal to a cent you know a more central vote a more right. centrist voter mm-hmm. it was it was basically um speaking to her base and saying i'm trying to fire you up and make sure you turn mm-hmm. out and and all that and i think you know what that is basically a signal of is you know she's she's it looks like she's won this thing and she thinks she's won and she just wants to basically make sure that her voters turn out to vote sure mm-hmm. Right, because she doesn't lose if the Democratic base turns out, it looks like at this point. I mean, it's very hard to see any path to victory for Trump unless she were to get sort of substantially reduced turnout. So I agree with Mitch. I think that was her sort of strategy is let's make sure that the base gets out. Let's make sure I give the sort of Bernie Sanders, uh, the hardcore left voters, a reason to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you people in the center, look, you got to decide. I mean, you know, like, do you, do you like this guy or do you prefer my competence, even if it's a lot more liberal than um, than you know, than you like, right? And so that that was sort of seemed to be her calculation. She definitely was not sort of moderating her appeal for the middle voters. Yeah. I, I have a couple a couple sort of weird takeaways from it. One, in one of the classes that I teach, I talk, I work with students on like how do you develop your memory and things like that. And mm-hmm. actually, I think you could watch. This is true for all of the debates and for both candidates. It would be a great test of your memory to like watch that have a question asked. Watch the answers for the, like, five or so minutes and then pause it and say, can anyone in the room remember the question that was asked? I found that just very interesting because it annoys me a lot. That, that's – I don't know. That's something that annoys me a lot. So I pay attention to – that's what I'm trying to hold in my head is what was the question that was being asked. And then I keep waiting for are they going to turn to that question at some point? Um, right. And, and it, I was amazed at the number of times that, that – um, both of them didn't. Uh, Clinton probably did a little bit better job of, of like eventually getting to. And then you asked about this, so I'm going to address. But then there were times when I felt like, oh, there's a question hanging out there, and no one's going to address it. <laughs> and the moderator tried a little bit to to keep them. I back thought Chris on Wallace that. did a nice job. Yeah, yeah. The other, the other. Um, this is a, a, a lighter takeaway from it. Um, 
my family has a lot of like we have a lot of running jokes or phrases that we pick up from movies or things like that. <laughs> sure, sure. And already the uh, the phrase that every everyone in my family, I think we're gonna need a bigger boat. No, including oh. including my uh, my nine year old daughter, my eleven year old son, my wife, and I have all already said to each other at a certain moment, turned to the other person and said, no, you're the puppet. That's, 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 that's like, that that's, was a good line. That's a line that I feel like is going to live for, for a while. Like, it's a funny thing uh, that that came. And when I got, so I got see, home. See, I, I took a different, different way. I was going to say, I was going to introduce this podcast by saying, I'm here with my bad hombres. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, and that jumped out of my chair when he said bad hombres. Like, yeah. You've got to be kidding me. You did yeah. not just say yeah. that. The, the other, um, I was sitting debate. next to one of my students who was writing a, was writing a senior <laughs> seminar project on uh, uh, coded language and dog oh, whistling oh, and she just started scribbling furiously when that came out <laughs> I'm not even sure that's a dog whistle I think that's just more that's of a traffic that's, just, that's, just, that's yeah. just a traffic cop whistle yeah right I was going to say that's um, that, that may yeah. be less subtle so so in terms of in terms of sort of a, a more serious I know that we, that the big takeaway as I've listened to sort of people talk about this and we're going to get to the the sort of questions about whether or not um, Trump will recognize the results of this election we'll get to that but, yeah, yeah. but uh-huh. the, the other moment that stood out to me as I thought a pretty powerful moment um was when when Clinton when, when excuse me when Trump sort of attacked Clinton for like what have you done for thirty years you have experience but bad experience and when she gave the answer where she compared here's what I did in the seventies here's what you did here's what I did in, mm-hmm. in the eighties and the nineties and the mm-hmm. the two thousands like I actually thought that was I mean I'm sure that was a, a very prepared thing in debate mm-hmm. prep yep, but right, like right, yeah. I you could just tell she was really excited for like oh you're going to give me an opening to deliver. This nice right. little compact Scripted speech, thing that I developed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's short, yeah. and it's something that that I saw replayed a couple times, and it's like that actually was. Um, so, I mean, hats off to the debate preppers mm-hmm. on that because yeah, that mm-hmm. was a yeah. really nice moment, and that was to me that was a takeaway moment in terms of um, uh, an answer where I feel like like yeah, I, I thought that was a pretty powerful moment, but that's mm-hmm. not going to be the takeaway of the uh, of the debate yeah. for sure. And I thought Hillary had several nice moments like that where she, I mean. Um, Compared to the and so again, I didn't see the second debate, but the first debate, it felt like she was ramming things in there that were ugly things he had said that just felt like, I mean, like Trump trickle down economics, yeah, right? And that's an example really of bad debate prep. Like, yeah. yeah. Whereas this one, she felt she felt um, more relaxed, and she also got, she went into lawyer mode in a way that I thought worked for her several times, which is to say she would she like sort of marshal a bunch issue. of arguments, like she would say, "Here's evidence, 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 evidence." Here's my point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought she was mm-hmm. she was pretty effective at sort of you know nailing Trump on yeah. some of those. So it when I walked away, I thought you know I, mean, I think she pretty clearly. Um, came out ahead in that debate. I agree with Mitch that she, he was calmer. He was not as, mm-hmm. you know, he was not as um, sort of nasty as he had been in, at some points in other debates in terms of um, the, the rhetoric. But at the same time, um, she felt like she definitely came out on top. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the, some of the, I, I hate these post-debate polls because I think they're so, um, I think they're really stocastic. I think they're, they're, oh, yeah. um, they're, mm-hmm. extre- they're extremely fragile. But uh, mo- uh, the CNN poll afterwards had her winning about uh, two to one, mm-hmm. had her like a 65-35 advantage yep. on the debate. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I would um, – I guess I would ask you guys I, – I, I agree with your point, Andy, that the, the, her lawyerliness peaked out, uh, particularly when she talked about the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And I thought that probably benefited her because she made what I think on the national stage was the most full-throated defense – of a pro-choice position that I've heard a presidential candidate make. Mm-hmm. Uh, her own husband uh, relied on this line that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Um, and President Obama, has, as a Democrat, has generally avoided the abortion debate um, mm-hmm. pretty strenuously. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's gone out of his way not to talk about it. Uh, this, this sort of a, just a, I think, 
in some ways, we, we've talked a lot about how uh, a candidate's gender plays a significant role in this or in this race. Mm-hmm. But I think speaking as a woman and using the kind of the lawyerly language that she did to talk about Roe v. Wade probably allowed her to make a more strident articulation of, of a defense of pro-choice than um, a male candidate could have or, or right. even a different candidate right. could have. Yeah, that's that's I think that's a fair point. I think that's true. Um, you know, it's still, of course, obviously, you know, for me as a as a pro life voter, it it leaves out the obvious point, which is like, what if these are people, right? In which right, case, sure. then it's not this is not okay, and this mm-hmm. is not something you can sort of call a choice, right? But um, but I think, yeah, absolutely, I think she's able to make more full throated defense, and she also feels like, you know, again, I think she thinks the the country has moved left in, on this issue to some extent, yeah. um, and so that's why yeah, you know, she and her party game. have, yeah, they they felt more comfortable yeah. sort of getting rid of this rare language and just sort of going all out like. Yeah, we're just pro-choice. Period. Right? I think, and, and and I think the other thing going on just last night too is at this point, you know, because Trump has been so discredited on so many issues, particularly relating to life, I think she feels right. probably like she can go ahead and make this make this strong case. Because what's Donald mm-hmm. Trump going to say? You know, I mean, you know, last night he was trying to sort of, um, you know, in his in his own way, sort of talk about. Um, you know, what, what partial birth abortion means. Mm-hmm. But it's very obvious, you know, as he's talking about it, he doesn't really understand what's going on. Right. It's not very right. clear what he's describing. And, you know, if if this issue were to be pushed, I mean, Hillary Clinton could just bring up, you know, you know, basically two years ago, you were you, you held the same position. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, look at the way mm-hmm. you treat women and everything else. Can you honestly say that you are mm-hmm. the champion of life? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think that point is pretty is pretty devastating. No, no one both, has more respect for women than Donald Trump, Mitch. Right. He yeah. said that. He both made that point very clearly last night. Right. Especially when he then interrupted her like five minutes later. Wrong. Right. So or no. You're, you're in. What did he, was this line at the end? A nasty woman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nasty yeah. woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nasty yeah. woman. Yeah. It's like, oh. Good. Uh, both of them are playing to, par- are part to majorities of Americans, though. Mm-hmm. Um, a majority of Americans, right. a, a small majority, a majority of Americans do support a pro-choice position over a pro-choice position in general at this right. point. Right. And but a majority of Americans also oppose late-term partial right. birth abortions. Right. Yeah, it all uh, depends on how you yeah. sort of ask the question. Exactly. Whether exactly. Whether Americans yeah. are and, and, majority and pro-life or pro-choice. That. If you include things like rape and incest or life of the mother, you can swing the majority very easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. But gentlemen, uh, all these these things plus the nasty woman, those kinds of things, that, that for me isn't the take-home of, of this debate. Uh, the right. take-home for this debate for me was. Apparent unwillingness on the part of uh, Donald Trump, in, in complete defiance of his own campaign and also other members of the Republican Party, to say definitively that he'll accept the results of the election. Yeah, that was a big moment. Uh, yeah. So, let and, me, and 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 especially, I mean, the way he phrased it too. I mean, this is probably right. one of the biggest takeaways. I mean, basically, that he ended that segment by saying, "I'm going to leave you in suspense," which is a great line to say if you're hosting. A reality show, right? <laughs> Generally, we do not want the American president to hold us in suspense, right? Um, it's that's uh, things like that, and that's right. about to reveal like the White House Christmas decorations or something. <laughs> you know, the Christmas uh, decorations were what came to mind too for me. So, really, you know, it is getting to be that season, I guess. We're only that's a, true. About a month away. So. You guys are already eating pumpkin pie without me. I'm a little jealous. Yeah, All right. I've still got well, some in my house. And I actually think I actually think her her answer to that was really important. Yeah, yeah. Because because what I wonder yeah. is. I mean, when I listen to pundits, listen to podcasts of people talking about the debates, that's like what everybody's talking about. Right. But I don't know if without without her response to that, um, and even with it, I don't know, like for people who aren't political scientists, for people who aren't like really into politics, mm-hmm. 
do they does that read the same way then we're later told oh here's what that means here's what he's mm-hmm. really saying I mean, here's what he's calling into question um i don't know but 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 that's why i thought her she gave a very clear response to that saying yep. like yeah Assen- i don't remember what she said but essentially that's horrific like yeah, that's that, terrible. that call- yeah terrible. like like that's that was an important moment i think because I don't know how that actually right. plays. I mean, I, that's a great question because I think yeah. I think if we take away the "I'll keep you in suspense" part, which is him being a little silly, I think. Right. But if you listen, yeah. but the first thing he said, like, because I listened, uh, Kellyanne Conway um, after the debate, one of Bush's, or I'm sorry, one of tr- uh, Trump's campaign advisors, right? Um, I mean, she was. I mean, it's her job to sort of defend what he says. Sure. Um, she was sort of defending it. Um, and, 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 I mean, you could make the argument, if you didn't really understand what that meant, that he's saying, like, how can you make me decide on something before I've seen it? Which is like, that's actually kind of a rational thought, mm-hmm. but right. that's not really what's being what, what's at play here. Right. So right. that's why I think it's important. And it's, it's interesting. Like, I don't know how much people... Um, we know that a lot of people watched the earlier debates. I don't know what the numbers were for last night, and I don't know how much people, how much, how often people watch once the debate is over to like the okay. So then there's the half hour to seven hours, depending on what network you're watching, of people <laughs> talking about it and essentially telling you here's what was important about what you right. just saw. How much, how much are 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 the is the average voter or average debate watcher able to digest themselves, and how important is the after show to understanding? Oh, here's what happened. Like how much, how important is the color commentary we get with that? I think it's a, I think it's really Pretty important. important. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of Americans, uh, um, particularly Americans who aren't taking political science classes, which by the way you all should. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think we're we're thinking about why questioning the validity of the electoral process is a really dangerous thing to do. And we're not. And, and to be clear here, I, I would I feel like quite, quite confident that everybody in this room would say that whether this was a Democrat making the case or a Republican yeah, making sure, the case, yeah. this isn't a, this isn't a partisan question, but rather we're. Uh, one of the things that that, uh, that we think about when we think about democracy is how uh, the buy-in of all the participants in the democracy becomes essential. Right. Our democracy is a very robust, large institution with lots of offices, lots of funding, uh, lots of people involved. But at the end of the day, it requires all of us to buy into it to actually exactly. make it work. Yeah. And if we have a candidate who doesn't buy into the electoral process, essentially maybe perhaps who refuses to concede if they lose mm-hmm. or, uh, and encourages their their, their – their supporters to refuse to concede if they lose, that creates a deep rift in American politics, and one that's not simply ideological, but one that's structural. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, that would be true if it was Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or, or anyone else as well. Right. Yeah. Right. I, th- I think one of the things, um, one of the like core moral reasons why it's uh, so dangerous is because essentially what the validity of democracy hinges on is that everybody agrees beforehand that they're going to accept the results. Right. And so if Donald Trump wants to go and say, you know, if I win the election, I should be president. Well, that doesn't work if you are also saying if my opponent wins the election, uh, I won't accept that she should be president. Right. In other words, the morals right. of democracy are this reciprocal agreement that says we're going to do this. And if one person says they're not going to do it, then what they are essentially uh, you know, calling into question is their own moral commitments to this. Now, uh, you know, so when we look at this and we think about what, what Trump is essentially saying is he's um, – in, in many ways, when someone makes this kind of a claim, they're actually undermining their own legitimacy mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. office in the right. end. Um, and it shows, you know, it shows that basically they are uh, – you know, lack the moral – character to even um you know be a legitimate democratic candidate yeah at some level i mean his premise seems to be you know i'm going to win right clearly i have the majority of american people behind me so if that doesn't happen right um then cheating has happened right and that seems to be where he's sort of his his starting point 
Um, which is just I mean, like, again, when you look at the polls, this is so problematic, right? I mean, he's clearly losing. He's clearly losing by quite a lot. He's outside the margin of error, right? I mean, there's just no evidence to suggest that he's really winning. Um, and so to, to claim that sort of this is being rigged against me, I mean, it's just a sort of bizarre claim. And I, I mean, as somebody who grew up in an area of the world where, you know, that rigging does happen, actually, uh, where, you know, opposition candidates actually have a point sometimes when they say mm-hmm. the election is being rigged against them. I mean, you know, our system just that's not a pervasive issue here. I mean, it's, I'm not saying we've never had that issue. I think with machine party politics in past you know, eras, we did have that somewhat where, you know, they would, they would certainly, you know, sort of load the ballot boxes up right. uh, for their, their party. But um, there's just no evidence to suggest this is happening in any kind of significant numbers these days. I don't want to say none of it's happening. I mean, I would, I think that's naive. Me- I'm sure there's some small things at the edges, but I really just don't see any evidence of, anything that would, would change an election of this yeah. magnitude. I, I mean, the number of fraud cases that have been successfully prosecuted, in other words, there was enough yeah, evidence to right. show there was fraud, are just vanishingly small. Yeah. I mean, it's it, we are talking like an incredibly small amount of, of actually successfully right. Uh, right. prosecuted fraud cases. And it's not that people aren't looking. I mean, there, right. are, there are hundreds of cases brought, and it's just that once you actually boil it down and once you look at it, you suddenly realize, oh, this person has the same name as somebody else, yeah. or oh, this person yeah. got married and changed their name. And so by, by the time you actually sift through all of the cases, yeah. there's almost none that actually were fraud uh, by the time you're done. Right. And even even if they were, the other thing is, even if yeah. all of these cases that were brought were actually cases of fraud, mm-hmm. even if they all were, they still wouldn't actually affect the election outcomes. There just aren't well, enough. Th- of that, them. Actually, right. that actually exactly. leads to leads to a question that I have in terms of. <clears throat> so let's 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 play out the scenario where um, where Trump doesn't win, and there let's say that there, uh, you know, that there are claims made that that are already being made about rigging the election, like. For for Trump supporters, what's the threshold that they would need to be able to, to I mean, not to <laughs> legitimately make the claim, but to to hold on to that claim? Because um, I'm just sort sort of curious, like because mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you right. could point to an example here or mm-hmm. an example there, but right. but like what what is it? What what is your guess is enough to make media traction, if not real legal so traction? The polling prior. To, I'm going to go outside the country to answer that question. The polling prior to Britain's Brexit vote, their decision to leave the European Union. <laughs> had the people opposed to leaving the European Union winning by about three to four percentage points uh, going into the vote, and, or the last week of the vote. And then the people who t- voted to leave Brexit won by about a percentage point or two. Mm-hmm. So that's about a five-point swing, or literally what, a little bit more than what Andy's referring to is the margin mm-hmm. of error in mm-hmm. most polls. Right. Mm-hmm. If it's beyond that, let's say if Hillary Clinton is winning by five percentage points in Ohio polls going into the election and Trump wins by five points, a ten-point swing, that would be enough for media traction. I would say, did something happen in Ohio that the polling was egregiously wrong on? Mm-hmm. Because we're getting pretty sophisticated with our polling techniques. So that would suggest to me that some investigative journalism should take place there, mm-hmm. or we should look at you know what might have caused that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or or Hillary Clinton wins Texas by ten points. Yeah, we should we should we should question that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the tricky the tricky thing with this is, and this is a point Mitch made when we were talking about this last night. Actually, was. Um, Hillary Clinton has a, does have an advantage on election day, and I, whether it'll actually make a difference in the voting is I'm not sure. But but she has a big advantage in that she's way more organized, right? And so we we saw oh, yeah. in the last couple elections 
where you know the turnout machine mattered, game. right? The ground game mattered. Um, in this election, it really feels like she has a ground game and Trump has very little ground game, right? And so that can matter because what we're talking about is things like, you know, do you have people to drive sort of elderly voters or voters without cars to the polls, right? Um, do you have people to call and remind them, hey, today's election day, get out and vote, right? I mean, and if you've got all that lined up, I mean, that can make a real difference in terms of turning out your right. base. So, I mean, it wouldn't shock me, actually, if she outperformed her polls and it turned out to be legitimate. Now, it might be, as Trump keeps claiming, right, that his enthusiasm level is higher, and there's some evidence for that, right? Um, and maybe that compensates for his lack of ground game and sort of evens this out. But, but I mean, all that to say, like, there's a there's a definite chance that she could legitimately outperform her polls um, just because of that ground game factor. Yeah. I just, want, I just want to go back to one other point about the whole idea of, quote-unquote, rigging the election and things mm-hmm. like that. And that is, you know, one of the things that I uh, actually just covered with my students um, in my intro classes is federalism. Mm-hmm. Sure. And when we look at the American, the way the American electoral system works, um, it's not like there's one central uh, place that actually runs the election. It's not right. like the elections right. are actually run out of Washington D.C. The elections are run um, out of each state house, and so if and, you go and through and through each county, right, and right. really down through each <laughs> yeah. county, right, it's very yeah. very decentralized. So what you're yeah. talking about when you're talking about the election is you're really talking um, about all these all these very local areas. Right. And one of the things that's important to keep in mind and to remember here is that um, the. I can't remember exactly. I should know this, but it's it's over thirty states are controlled by Republicans. Thirty three. Thirty three. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. There we go. Mm-hmm. So yeah. thirty three states are controlled by Republicans. Right. And right. so you know the odds that a Republican, uh, you know, Secretary would of rig, State would or rig the election for a Democratic president, right, is going to right. throw the election for, for 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 a Democrat just seems absolutely beyond absurd. Right. right. And yeah. so when we think it's about you know the actual way that the American electoral system is set up, it actually is set up in a way that if there was going to be rigging happening, it would go the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was going to be fraud or something like that, it would actually be against Hillary Clinton. And so the whole prospect, you know, that Trump is sort of, that somehow the deck is stacked against him is just beyond preposterous. I mean, it's just, you know, as as Hillary Clinton said last night, you know, this is, you know, sounds like the whining of somebody who knows they're already going to lose. So uh, I'll throw a couple other things in here. Uh, If you don't trust us, that the American uh, electoral system is difficult to rig. Uh, there's an international uh, organization called Transparency International. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a website. It's Google Transparency International. Uh, they're nonprofit. They're nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. And they look at the freedom of elections in various countries. And you'll see some mm-hmm. pretty appalling countries in terms of how free and fair their elections are. <laughs> I studied some of those North countries. North Korea, for example. The United States, in contrast. They still bother with elections? <laughs> Well, sure, but I mean, Kim Jong Un gets 102 percent of the vote. That's so, right. Uh, yeah, right. Um, everyone loves him, and there's a few extras who love him and don't even exist. Who love him anyway? Yeah. Um, there are people. There are, there are people sneaking in from South Korea to vote for Kim Jong Un. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, the United States has extraordinarily free and fair elections. Yeah, we do. And I, I, uh, this is if if you're concerned about this, please don't be. Regardless of which candidate you support, we can. I'm I'm quite confident the election will accurately represent how many people support them. Yeah. The other thing I want to add to, and and forgive me if you think this is a silly analogy, but I want to offer sort of a partial defense of the rigging idea because it really depends on what rigging means. Sure. I am a man of what you would not call commanding stature. Um, on a very good day, uh, I am five foot seven. I could make the case that the NBA is rigged against me. Sure. Because the game of basketball, in the, in the way that it's designed, is a game built for very, very tall people to play. 
and people who are at, who are in peak physical condition, which I also am not. Um, so and people who are maybe a little younger than you, too. maybe a little bit younger. I'm 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 just about as old as uh, as, uh, as as Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett. And oh wait, they both just retired. Okay, anyway, um, oh, they could probably still be pretty good though. If they th- I think to. they would still probably beat me because they have yeah. a foot and a half on me. Yeah, right, right. That might. That's the only bit. reason, though, Chris. Yeah. Other than That's that, the only reason. If they could just reduce Tim Duncan to five foot seven, you could totally like. You know, no, it's <laughs> go toe to toe. But here's, here's, here's the thing: I, in, an, in, a, in a certain kind of way, I could argue that the in a, that the game is right. literally structurally built in a way that disadvantages yeah. me. Yeah. And in the same way, uh, we could argue that the political system is a game that's built to disadvantage certain kinds of candidates. However, I would argue Donald Trump is not one of them. He is very wealthy. He is older. He is white. Uh, he is male, and all of those things. And very famous. Up, and very famous. Uh-huh. And all those yeah, things right. stack up actually in his favor. So right. if we're going to say anything. We might say that that part of the game is rigged in his favor. Yeah. Uh, but those most of those things are also true of Hillary Clinton. Right. The other way it could be rigged is he could argue that the media is colluding with one of the candidates, Hillary Clinton, to disadvantage him. That the vast mm-hmm. majority of the mainstream media is. Is sort of working against him, and he may have made that argument once. He has made that argument, um, and his and his and some of his campaign supporters and uh, some of the alt right uh, news sources, which they previously ran, also have made that argument. And if you th- and I, we just talked to Scott Winter last time about sort of the ethics behind media coverage and what the media seeks to do. So right. I think there's a limited uh, efficacy there, but um, but I don't think it's I don't think it's in, uh, um, uh, indismissible. But in but that would also be in the same way you could argue during the early primaries it was that it was rigged in, in his, his favor. favor. Right. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Because of the name recognition yeah. thing. Absolutely. The, the name recognition and also the fact that a lot of cable news like ran his rallies live and things like yeah. that. I mean, yeah. so he he got an enormous amount of coverage yeah. um, that the other Republican candidates didn't. Well, and I right. don't I don't know about the like like how many of the other Republicans could call into the Today Show and just get on the air because they're who they are. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. So yep. in con so in those ways it is possible that the system is rigged mm-hmm. but that's not the same thing as saying the nba is has players that are throwing games or right. referees that are right. throwing games right. which is essentially what i think he's alluding to in the political process yeah. that there's something corrupt in the system that is unfairly awarding votes right and that's not happening in the nba anymore <laughs> uh, um and uh, but and i know and i do and i strongly do not think it's happening in the uh, in in the electoral process right and, and just i mean for the reasons mitch laid out a moment ago right i mean it's just almost impossible to do that it's like it's like he thinks there's some sort of command central that is working to to sort of bring him down um, through massive rigging of the electoral process and it just reflects a misunderstanding frankly of how our elections are run which is extremely they're extremely locally run so what you'd have to talk about is not a rigging but thousands upon thousands of different places right. um, and people rigging it and that just again doesn't make any sense especially when you consider that two-thirds of states are currently under Republican sort of control okay so you know oh, oh, sorry. No, no, I was just gonna say going back to your uh, issue about the media too I think one of the things that's that's interesting about that is you know what what Trump has to assume is that he's not doing anything worthy of negative coverage. Correct. And so one of the things that, you know, I think I think that immediately raises for anyone who wants to buy into that is you have to basically accept that Trump um, is just fine, that Trump hasn't been doing anything really, mm-hmm. you know, nothing has been there that's been worthy of, of negative coverage. Right. Um, and that seems like a pretty... Um, pretty, pretty, pretty thin case to make. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that seems fair. If... I, I have two ways I want to go off of this. And the... the I'm going to I'm going to sort of uh, change our agenda up here a little bit. 
if um, <laughs> if Donald Trump loses, which our models seem to suggest is likely at this our point. Our models? Well, I say are in the royal political okay. science week. Gotcha. Uh, political science models um, uh, seem to suggest <laughs> that uh, the polling aggregation models seem to suggest that he's likely to lose on election yes. day if, and um, unless something happens in the next 20 days or so. What do you think his role in the Republican Party is moving past the election? So, I mean, I've seen a number of, uh, especially on the on the right, like the conservative uh, magazines that I usually skim through, have already started talking about this, um, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of them are very are actually are frankly very concerned. I mean, basically, mm-hmm. um, the fact is he'll pro- you know as somebody who will have the stature of being a former. Um, nominee of the party, he will right. be in a position to basically, um, you know, backstab everybody who comes after him. Um, and mm-hmm. that, and that given his temperament and the way that he has run this campaign and the way he has approached the party up to this point, that's very likely. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what they're essentially saying is, you know, what this what this will probably look like is Trump will constantly be undermining um, any of the more serious policy oriented, yeah. um, socially conservative um, Republicans that come after. So basically, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the party of you know somebody who's like who's like Rubio who or um, or Paul Ryan who has you know is very socially conservative very you know mm-hmm. morally grounded people um, and people who have um, you know very serious policy chops right. are just going to be constantly undermined and dogged um, by him from uh, you know from here forward yeah unfortunately that does seem does seem kind of likely I mean it is you know being the former candidate even if you get beaten pretty overwhelmingly is a very prominent position so um, I think the Republican Party is going to have to think about. It. I mean, how how do we move past this? Because I think, you know, I think they're in for a pretty big defeat. Um, it looks like at it, the presidential it, level. At the presidential we level, think right? It's likely Not, to hold on to the House. I think they're going to hold the House. They I think chance on the Senate. Senate's a toss up at this point. Um, they're going to hold state houses probably, and so I mean, they're in for a big defeat at the presidential level. And w- while they're doing fairly well at other levels, right? Um, and in a year that they know they probably could have and should have won, because let's be honest, I mean, Hillary Clinton is likely to win a big victory, but she's the kind of candidate who probably could have been beaten by a lot of Republicans, mm-hmm. um, just not the one the Republicans decided to nominate, right? And so, um, you know, so I think, you know, they have to think about how do we move past this without, you know, without letting Trump drag us down. And that's going to be hard to do because, I mean, as, they've, as they've, we've shown over the last year, I mean, Trump is not really controllable, right? And even, right. so even, for example, on this, you know, to go just go back to use an example, the rigging question, right, and accepting the election results, I mean, you know, he, he directly contradicted both his vice presidential candidate, Mike Pence, who, you know, so many conservatives have been like, oh, you should support Trump because he cho- chose a good, you know, a good vice president. Well, you know, there's, he directly contradicted him, and he directly contradicted his daughter, Ivanka, who's usually seen as one of the the people who actually has some influence on him right, and said, no, I'm not accepting this um, unless it's, you know, until I see what happens. Whereas they both said, no, he'll accept he'll the results, he's right? To, yeah. He's going to acknowledge. So, I mean, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how do they work around that? Can they find a way essentially to marginalize him? And so when he says those things to say, well, that's just Donald um, and let's all move on. Well, right. It also, it also matters if we look at the, the people who are, who are, who are voting for him, who are supporting mm-hmm. him, how many of those people are, Republicans and how many of those people right. are Trump supporters, right. which right. is their prime. Because mm-hmm. if they're really mm-hmm. Trump supporters more than Republicans, then mm-hmm. wherever where he goes, they might go because and 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 what he does right. as a former nominee matters. If they're Republicans who signed on, they might be. It, then it depends, like because I would presume, I mean, thinking about the way he kind of operates, like if yep. he if he like burns the party to the ground as he leaves, then then I you know, they're potentially what they do is they they learn. 
I'm always big into like what lessons we learn. They learn the lesson from this campaign that maybe the past doesn't matter, and we just pretend that didn't happen. And and kind of so 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 almost like yeah. because yeah. he because he burns everybody, then nobody's really burnt by him. I mean, there, there's that potential. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it depends on what he does, and it depends, I think, on really like what is how much of it is a Republican base who is voting for their nominee, and how much is it an actual Trump base who will follow him to wherever he goes. Right. Uh, and that, and that I, I, I don't have a sense of that. I don't know what your models tell you, Chris. Well, there are, <laughs> okay, so let's, um, I have seen rhetoric in news media uh, that, that describes the, the death of the Republican Party, that Trump is, to use your language, Sam, burning their party to the ground. And I just don't think that's true. No, if we look at right. this, if we look at the polling data on Trump, sixty-five uh, percent of people find him deeply unfavorable, uh, and that so that leaves thirty-five percent of people. Not everyone loves him wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. It's some portion of that thirty-five percent. It seems unlikely that if Trump uh, left the Republican Party or you know loses this election and then attempts to form an alternative party. That he would get enough uh, support, I think. Right. It, I mean, I mean, yeah. So does he become just so that that's what I'm saying? I, I like like he becomes he, like the bad ex-boyfriend yeah. that it's like, yeah, we don't really talk about him. <laughs> right. I, I I really don't think that he's the kind of guy who who kills the Republican Party. Yeah. I think what you're what you're suggesting is probably likely that mm-hmm. um, in 2020, if the if we have a Republican running against an incumbent Hillary Clinton, if that's how this plays out, then I think you'll see somebody who is. A different wing of the Republican Party, but you'll still have people who were highly attracted to Trump within the Republican Party, sort of challenging the nature of, or, or sort of pushing the nature of whoever that candidate is. Mm-hmm. And they may have to moderate their positions in the same way that Hillary Clinton moderated hers to adopt to sort of appeal to Bernie Sanders voters. You may see a Paul Ryan type candidate in 2020 using some of the lighter rhetoric of Trump in an effort to capture some of those voters. Mm-hmm. And that, in, ma- in many ways, to me, is the most disturbing, mm-hmm. lingering effect of Donald Trump, mm-hmm. is that some of the rhetoric and some of the ideas that he fostered over his campaign will be things that may be used in the future by other candidates who don't believe them nearly as strongly as Trump did in an attempt mm-hmm. to capture voters who were right. connected to those ideas. Right, right. Because some of this is working, Mm-hmm. To yes. a degree, right. and it's, well, it, it's a it, matter- it worked in the sense that it got him the nomination. Right, it didn't work enough in the sense that it appears to give him the presidency. Right, right, right. And, and I think one of the other things, I mean, just to build off of that, you know, just you know, or, you know, just saying that like Trump is going to be there, you know, to backstab and, and dog mm-hmm. the Republicans doesn't necessarily mean that's going to define the party. Right. Um, but one of the things that's also important to remember too is when we looked at the primary process, you know, Trump never did get a majority of primary Republican votes either. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, not that anyone else got more than him, but you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, a majority of Republicans preferred another candidate over him um, right. when they when they were casting their votes, and so it seems like um, you know there's there's he has he has he has, he has a core of very committed supporters mm-hmm. um, that are going to be important. I mean, obviously, you know, as you guys both said, he's going to you know Republicans are going to figure out a way to appeal to those voters, right. um, but they don't necessarily define the party. You know, what's what's interesting about the Republican Party too, and people often forget this, is that the Republican Party is primarily. Um, as 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 prim- primarily has very centrist um, types of people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you think about Republicans, you know a lot of people sort of immediately think of the Tea Party and it's kind of these extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not really who mostly uh, is in the Republican Party and who votes Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can sort of see that in the way in the nominees that have come out of the Republican Party right. um, before Trump here. You know, you think about John McCain right. and even George W. Bush was not. You know, this you know was not. Fi- 
particularly extreme. Right. Compassionate um, conservative. Right, He's open to government yeah. solutions. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And so and so that's that's more of the Republican Party, mm-hmm. and that's probably where it will remain. In yeah, some and, way, oh, uh, well, one thing I just add to sort of um, sort of piggyback on what Sam said there, which is you know if Trump burns everybody down, then maybe nobody gets burned down, right? And I think that's kind of true. I mean, like, I wonder if it ends up being like <laughs> you know sort of Joe Biden, right? So I'll use a Biden analogy here, which is that Biden has said so many things over the years and does so many strange, kind of somewhat strange things. It ceased to be a story, right? It's just not even interesting. Even when he's like back there, kind of you know snuggling with the wife of the defense secretary as the defense secretary is accepting you know um, his position, right? It's like, it's just Joe, right? I mean, that's what Joe does, right? And everyone's like, it's fine, right? And so he's sort of gotten to the point where he's almost gaff-proof because he's done it so many times, the news is, media is bored There's a it. narrative and around the yeah. acceptability of his fault. Right. So if Trump like, goes out and starts attacking every Republican under the sun and backstabbing everyone, at some point it becomes really, really boring, right? It's like, oh, and Trump again said something really negative about mm-hmm. so-and-so. Who cares, right? That's what he does. And so I mean, I wonder if that's what happens. Um, so unless Trump is very selective and shows some sort of discipline in that, which doesn't exactly sound like the, <laughs> the Donald we've come to know over the last year, I mean, it's, um, you know, that might be his, his fate. Like he just sort of gets yeah. pushed to the sideline as this kind of crazy uncle figure of the party. Who, yeah, that's what he says, but he doesn't define who the family is, right? I, I could buy that. Uh, in some ways, I'll make the case, and I could I'll back down from this if you guys challenge it. But I can make the case that Ron Paul wrong. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, that was so so tempting right there. That, that, that Ron Paul as a as a libertarian has had more will have a more durable influence in the Republican Party mm-hmm. than Donald Trump will mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he's articulating a clear ideology that can be accepted by people and, right. and, and can live on past right. him. Although Trump is extremely charismatic and yeah. has attracted as enthused a group of voters who are mm-hmm. not normally enthused, particularly in the mm-hmm. primary process, mm-hmm. uh, he has not articulated a clear, cohesive ideology, which is right. which I think will give people something to hang on to after he leaves the political scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, by the way, comes. I should we should we need to we need to give credit where credits due here. One of our listeners emailed us at electionshocktherapy at gmail dot com. Uh, <laughs> our, our friend uh, and former student Marissa uh, emailed us and, and asked about this. Um, asked about how various Republicans uh, in the last week or two right. have abandoned Trump and either removed their endorsement or disavowed him, mm-hmm. and 150 or so uh, prominent Republican leaders. And that's pretty unprecedented in right. modern electoral politics. Yeah. But I think this suggests that the party leaders think that the party leads the people and not the other way around. That in four years, the candidate they put forward will be an attractive candidate to most of the people who are mm-hmm. also voting for Donald Trump right now. Mm-hmm. And that they're not going to lose a substantial chunk of the Republican Party to go off and form a splinter, you know, Liberty Party or something like that. Uh, as uh, in contrast to the Republicans, right? And, and the other thing is, I mean, like what's most likely with these really hardcore Trump people who are drawn in, we're not really Republicans, we're drawn in by Trump. Personalities that they do go back to doing what they usually do, which is maybe sit on the sidelines, right, and right. not vote for Republican, but maybe not vote for the Democrat either. And so then you're back to sort of your, you know, 2004, 2008, 2012 kind of electoral dynamics, Absolutely. Um, which doesn't, you know, it's a, it's a shift from this year, but it doesn't sort of fundamentally change the the landscape. Mm-hmm. Well, gents, uh, thanks for talking through that. Uh, last time I asked you a question about uh, your favorite fictional president, and. Uh, I'm going to go on a limb here and say that I think vote rigging uh, um, falls into the realm of American conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have lots of conspiracy theories. Uh, um, you've may, uh, I'm sure you've heard some good ones. And so I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> I have my own favorites, but uh, if you ever troll Snopes.com or some of the other conspiracy mm-hmm. sites, mm-hmm. what's your favorite uh, durable American conspiracy theory? Uh, I'm, I'm, my favorite ones are the ones that, that you can really have fun with because they ultimately don't really matter. 
Um, mm. So like like my favorite ones are things like like that the NBA draft lottery is rigged that like it was rigged the very first time. <laughs> no, so that, that's the, actually true. So Sam. the Knicks would that's get Patrick Ewing. Okay, yeah. um, I, I, that's I, the only way I can explain why the Pist- the Pistons drafted Darko Milicic. That's the right. only way I can explain that. <laughs> but that's not the lottery. <laughs> they did well in the lottery. They were just kind of dumb and drafted Darko. Um, <laughs> I was say, that's a different issue. Uh, Human victory cigar. That's right. But 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 I, I mean so I like things like that. You know, as a, as a Minnesota fan, uh, Minnesota Timberwolves fan, especially in the early '90s, like we were. We're always one pick behind where if there were four good players, we got five. If there were two, we got three. Um, thank you. We got Christian Leitner, people like that. <coughs> but um, <laughs> I, could, I could go deeper with bad players that we sure. got. You know, okay. your Danielle Marshalls and whatnot. Um, I like Danielle Marshall. In college, yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, so, so I like conspiracy because you can have a lot of fun with that and you can argue about it. But ultimately, you're not talking about like... The you fate know, of the who country? killed Kennedy or something like right. that, which are like those are interesting, but they're super dark, and I, I, I just don't need to dig into to that. So, um, so, so, so the lighter conspiracy theories, the alligators in the New York uh, sewer system, that kind of thing. Well, no, especially I like the NBA draft lottery. Okay. Like, right. I'm giving you a specific <laughs> answer to that. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Okay. I mean, I, so I maybe you know maybe I'm a darker person than Sam, but I, <laughs> I kind of do enjoy the the political conspiracy theories. Um, you know, like you know the who shot Kennedy. Those nine eleven was an inside job. Nine uh, eleven's an inside job, and all this because what they what cracks me up about them when people make these arguments, and you get you know some pretty serious people who will make arguments. I mean, I actually had a professor who bought the nine eleven as an inside job Seriously? argument. I had a roommate. Yes, I had a roommate who bought the the moon landing was a fake. Well, that's um, a good, argument, that is a good one, right? That, that so mine, I mean, um, okay, I'll let you talk about that. <laughs> right. But but what's interesting about them, right, is that they all require this sort of really high level of like sort of coherent secrecy in government, which is utterly inconsistent with anything we know about government, which is always <laughs> leaking anything of significance. I mean, somebody ultimately blabs, right? And so all these require, right, that, you know, that everybody stays on board and never lets the you know, cat out of the bag, and which is just, like, so so incredibly unbelievable. But the problem with conspiracy theories is they're simply, they're non-refutable, right? Because no matter what you bring up, it's like, well, that just shows you how deeply the, cons- mm-hmm. deep the conspiracy theory goes, right? So any, any evidence to the contrary is really evidence that reinforces the conspiracy theory um, when it's properly reframed by mm-hmm. your theorist. Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, I actually do, I mean, I like a good Kennedy um, conspiracy theory, actually. I, um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, if you go, I remember like the first couple of times, like I watched the video of like the car coming along. Sure. And it's like, mm-hmm. you watch that and it's like, man, could the, how, how could the bullet like coming down where Oswald was supposed to be yeah. actually have caused all that? And you look at that and you're like, that does not make sense. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the body doesn't move that way. You look at the way the wounds right. are and you're mm-hmm. like, that doesn't mm-hmm. look like the mm-hmm. bullet could have entered there. Right. And you like look at that and it's like, man, how how could it have just been Oswald? Yeah. You know, so I so I don't know. You know? <laughs> no, and, and, it's, and, and again, it's I, possible. You know, I'm not I'm not somebody who's here like ready to, you know pass out Kennedy conspiracy theories. You know, I have no evidence to say that, you know, Oswald didn't act alone or anything else, you sure, know. Sure, sure. But, um, but you know, you look at that and it's like, I, I you know, I kind of get that. So I, you buy that Raphael Cruz was on the grassy knoll? Is that what yeah, we're, yeah. Is that we're yeah. on? It's a yeah. callback to the primaries. <laughs> That's right, yeah. To be fair, I am a big fan of the, the darker ones, too. I just wanted to try to keep it lighter, but no, you No, no, we're political scientists here. That's right. Yeah. Chris, moon landing, talk about it. I love it. Okay, so here's the thing. I agree with Andy. Uh, the reason that conspiracy theories are ridiculous... And by the way, um, I'm this close to putting a no conspiracy theory clause in my syllabi for my classes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, because I'm just tired of having to Do you really get with... those? Yeah, I do. How funny. I do, especially for international stuff. My, my, uh, one of the ones I get a lot <laughs> is that uh, Roosevelt was complicit in uh, Pearl Harbor. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, it's true the American government had reason to suspect the Japanese were preparing to attack us. Uh, Roosevelt did not permit the Japanese to attack Pearl Harbor. That's not the same thing as being aware that they were possibly mobilizing to, right. to strike us. They thought uh, the, United, the U.S. Navy thought we were, they were going to attack Midway. Right. Uh, but at any rate, the, uh, I th- the moon landing one is intriguing to me because unlike most conspiracy theories, it's possible to imagine that a very small number of, of sophisticated people could attempt to fabricate something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I still don't think it's true. Right, uh, right. I, I'm quite confident. Well, and I, I will say it, it attached to the, the moon landing theory is um, recently, Craig Chris and I have talked about this, I watched 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. And when I watched that, I thought, yep, we, the, Kubrick could have done it. Like, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, he's an amazing director. I think he went into space to shoot that movie, so I'm pretty <laughs> sure he if he didn't, then he could fake a moon landing. Sure, so. sure, sure. Yeah. And, and it, you could imagine us wanting to sort of uh, in the midst of the Cold War right, to scare right. the Russians, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. you could have imagined us get a actually, W on the board. You know, what's that? Get a W on the board. You send you send you send a craft into space. You bring mm-hmm. it back down, and then you you know you film them actually landing on the moon. Mm-hmm. And I. But it's not true. Uh, like we have very good, very different kinds of evidence that suggest that this is this is silly. I guess what I want to ask you for all these things. <laughs> why do you think conspiracy theories are so seductive? We're not the only country that has them, by oh, the no. way. Some some no. countries have very pernicious <laughs> conspiracy theories uh, that hurt public health. I'm thinking in uh, Nigeria, for example. There's a, there's a persistent mm. uh, uh, rumor in Nigeria that. Um, sleeping with a virgin will uh, cure the AIDS virus, and as you can imagine, mm-hmm. if you're infected with AIDS, that's about the worst possible thing you can do. So we're not, we're not. Mm-hmm. America's not alone right. in conspiracy theories. Why are they so seductive? Um, I, wow, I, I, I was going to say how I don't like to go dark, but I think because um, life is disappointing and boring often, and like, and mm-hmm. the, this is pointing to like, you know, that that outcome you didn't like or that thing which doesn't seem that interesting. What if it got real interesting? You know, so so I think because um, I think oftentimes the you know it, it's a it's a it's a refutation to Occam's Razor, right? Like the, the so so it's like because because Occam's Razor is boring. It's like whatever yeah. the simplest explanation is, that's probably what it is. It's like, right. but what if it's not? And like that's mm-hmm. more interesting. And a, right. a movie that gets into that is more interesting. Like what if we, you know? And, and so I think I think that's a part of it is that that there's a lot of um, kind of boredom and tedium in life and the conspiracy theory. Maybe helps us believe that there's there's something something more. more. I th- yeah, I, yeah I, I agree with that. I, but I think I think also part of it has to do with you know we we humans we like to think that human agency kind of determines everything, right? And uh, we yeah. very yeah, much yeah. don't like to think that systems right. and just sort of abstract forces are are, are actually or, or guiding simple our chance, lives. Mm-hmm. right? Or simple chance, or yeah. uh, just you know just just to sort of you know we are at a Christian college here, so or that or that providence might actually be playing a role, right? right? Sure. That mm-hmm. God actually mm-hmm. might be mm-hmm. working through history right. and mundane things. Um, and we like to think you know we we humans we like to think that we are in charge of everything right. and we're doing everything. And so conspiracy theories are where are a way to say, well, this little group of people right. actually decided and right. made it happen. It wasn't just that, you know, this is just the way elections work and this is just the way, you know, yeah. you know, Oswald just happened to have a mental, you know, you know, he was he was he was mentally disturbed and that's this right. is the kind of thing that mentally disturbed people do. Mm-hmm. You know, it had nothing to do with human agency and right. you know, Johnson trying to steal the presidency or something like that, right. you know. Right. Um so and I think those answers, you know, which kind of gets back to Sam's point, you know, those are the boring answers. You know, if we just say, well, this is just how the system works and this is right. just how people are and this is just the way things are you know that's really boring um and it makes us feel you know i think it makes us realize you know our finitude as human yeah. beings you know, we look at ourselves and we say you know my human agency doesn't determine that much right 
And when we're confronted with that, it makes us uncomfortable. And so we immediately sort of want to go back and say, no, um, human agency <laughs> is over these things. And yep. so there's this elaborate yep. story of how human agency right. could have made it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other part of it, too, that, that kind of goes along with that is we, we, we just like this friend-enemy sort of dichotomy. Mm-hmm. We really like to say that, you know, it's not just that there's this is just the system or this is just God working through history right. or this is just how things are. We like to say, no, there are bad people out there. Right. They yeah. have done this. And they're right. doing bad things and good people are stopping them from doing bad things. Right. Or, right. or or because us good people aren't as well organized and secretive, right. we aren't able to stop them. Right. And man, right. You, you, you know, don't don't be a sheeple and, you know, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> undermined by all these bad people who are doing bad things. I agree with Sam and Mitch's sort of big picture points, and I'll just add one small one, which is that, too, when when reality unfolds, right, and we know this sort of in our own daily lives, there are always things that don't quite fit the pattern, right? That Things that happen to, you know, happen that maybe are just you know, unrelated or that just happen in a slightly unusual way in a given instance, right? And so in, with any of these major catastrophes, there's always that kind of evidence, right? I mean, it doesn't look like Kennedy's body reacts correctly um, to where the bullet should come from, right? It doesn't, um, people wonder, you know, like, should the Twin Towers have collapsed so easily when the, the planes hit and so forth, right? I mean, like, um, the, the reality is we don't really know. I mean, like, when a car's moving in a particular way or when you know, we don't have a lot of evidence for what usually happens when, you know, airlines hit large buildings, right? Um, but there's there's things that seem inconsistent with our reality and therefore lead us to want a more sure. complicated explanation, which also then, you know, feeds into the points that Sam and Mitch just made. We, we know from psychological studies that humans have a greater propensity than normal to recognize patterns, mm-hmm. especially even mm-hmm. patterns in randomness. <laughs> this is why people think that they can guess lottery numbers. This is absolutely random, and, and yet we think we, we don't believe that. We tend to see patterns in things right. more so than we more so than they actually exist. And evolutionary biologists think that this comes from the way that humans have developed as a species. That if you're living on the savanna, uh, uh, seeing something that isn't a lion uh, as a lion and being scared of something you don't need to be scared of is better than seeing a lion and not perceiving it as a threat. Right. Um, and <laughs> right. so overseeing patterns yep. um, is probably something that humans have adapted mm-hmm. to be successful. Mm-hmm. But that leads to things like conspiracy theories. It leads to things right. like uh, gambling behaviors mm-hmm. where we think we can predict the outcomes of random right. chance events. Right. And these things are pernicious in themselves. And I think we need to be careful about how we debias ourselves mm-hmm. from perceiving uh, randomness as pattern, uh, including things like conspiracy theories here. I agree with what you guys said. So. Cool. Well, gents, uh, I think we all need to run off to something here. So um, we we all we did it. We we all That's four of right. us were here for an entire podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, who knows? I can't when wait to see how one of these ends. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, we, we actually end with a song. Okay. So if you'd like to start, <laughs> no. um, well, on behalf of all my colleagues here in my office and everyone here at Bethel University, hang on, folks. We've only got about twenty more days of the election. Uh, we'll continue to keep the podcast through that. We'll also do some things after the election, talking about what happens next too. So we're not going to wrap this up just as the election happens. But on behalf of my colleagues, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Chris Moore. Go Royals.